thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Cindy O'Meara. And oh, our, and where's Kim? I know, I know. <laughs> our beautiful Kimmy is tied up this week, which is such a shame because I know she would have absolutely wet her pants with excitement over the person that we're interviewing here this morning. I've been doing some Googling and some um, research on our guest today on Up For A Chat and the beautiful Diane V. Capaldi, otherwise known as the Paleo Boss, is our amazing guest. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. What a treat. And I'm so excited because Cindy sent a message through this morning saying, we're interviewing Diane V. Capaldi. We're interviewing her. Make sure that everything's set up. And I thought, oh, Okay. And then as soon as I saw the name Paleo Boss Lady, I thought, okay, this chick I've got to, I've got to figure out. And I see that you have cured yourself of MS. You've got the most incredible backstory. You've been a TED speaker. You're sharing your message across the world. And it's not just about food. I see you're doing communications around language, the way that we even like, you know, the way that we relate to our food and ourselves and our health. And you know what I just love the most is when I look at your LinkedIn profile, um, V. Mm -hmm. And for everybody who's listening to the show, V is Diane's, like, name for short is V, which I'm no doubt we're going to get to because I so want to know why. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it says here you've you've built a conscious lifestyle brand that raises the roof on life and living. And it's just, you know, it it says here this lifestyle brand questions the status quo at every turn, focusing on higher purpose. Long gone are the days of autopilot living. And I tell you, V, when I read that, I feel every cell in my body begin to quicken. It just totally lights me up. And I know that our listeners are going to be beside themselves over today's show. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And I'm super, super excited to hear how you and our beautiful Cindy got to, got to meet each other. Like, how did, how did this come about? Luck. <laughs> we were very fortunate. Um, v is a is a very good friend of Dr. Terry Walls, who, of course, is in my documentary What's with Wheat. And so, when we we're in Austin um, to interview Dr. Terry Wall, V came along for the interview. She was there helping Terry, or I don't know. You were just there, weren't you, V? I was her and- minion. Yeah, I was like <laughs> we were roommates, and she was like, "I'm doing this and I'm doing that," and I just think you should come. And, um, you know, I felt compelled to do it a, to make sure that, you know, if if Dr. Walls needed anything, I could help her. Um, and also to learn about all that she was doing. And, you know, um, you know, there's times when you meet people and then there are times when you meet people, you know, and there was a great connection that happened and the relationship it's been several years now, um, has just continued to grow. And it seems like Cindy and I are always in the same parts of the world at the same time which is strange it, it is it's really strange because so last december i was in new orleans <laughs> and v noticed i was there and she goes i'm in new orleans why what what how does that happen and so we got together and had a beautiful dinner together and and then i'm in california 
And who's just down the road in Long Beach? I'm in Tustin um, and you're in Long Beach and here we are again in the same place at the same time. So quite amazing, Karen. Oh, it blows my mind. I often think about things like that and I, I wonder how, you know, how co-inky-dinkle it really is that um, <laughs> we come across such, such extraordinary human beings and that it's just no accident at all and I, I feel like, you know, just I'm going to be so excited to listen in into this conversation today. I'm, I, I don't know if I really want to participate or I want to listen in as a, as, <laughs> as part of the audience because I think this this conversation is going to be incredible how it unfolds. V, yeah, tell, yeah. Go, go on. Yeah. No, 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 no. You go, 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 Cindy. You go, go. Because no, you, you know all about V's backstory. You know about everything, like oh. all the stuff that makes her so incredible. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, I just had an incredible weekend um, here in in L.A. Um, and it was in Costa Mesa at um, one of the most um, revival, I guess you could call it, um, chiropractic health conferences with 20-minute speakers, a bit like TED, so 20-minute mm-hmm. speakers. Um, and talking on many subjects of health from chiropractic to nutrition. So we had David Avocado Wolf, we had JJ Version, we had David Asprey. So they were the three that was mainly speaking on nutrition, although Josh X was there as well. So these big names that I have followed for many years were all um, speaking on the stage, as well as people like Belle Digtree, um, Suzanne Humphreys, Dr. Suzanne Humphreys, she's a, a urologist and medical doctor. Um, we had a dentist speak. Um, he was absolutely brilliant on amalgamums. We had Robert Kennedy speak on the Mercury Project oh, that wow. he was doing wow. about taking mercury not only out of the environment but out of vaccines. So he was very, very amazing. We had Dr. Patrick Kentempo. So, V, I expected to see you there. I Like, it would have been right down your alley. You would have just been hooting it and pumping it with me because it was just one of those amazing conferences. And it's at, it's at conferences like this or when you meet amazing or that you get to meet these amazing people. And, V, I think you need to be on their stage, so I'm going to actually put you forward to CalJam. Oh, that would be great. I, was, I would love to have been there. I was actually fortunate enough to be um, – in the Bay Area as part of my tour and speaking at both um, Mission Heirloom, which is in Berkeley, which is a conscious living restaurant um, and company. And also I spoke at Nativa, which is a conscious living company um, that whose products have greatly influenced my tour and my life. Um, they're just awareness. They're a company that helps us to understand just like changing habits does that it starts at the soil and it goes from there, you know, like we have to look at the whole system, the planet and what we're doing with, with food, everything, you know, it's not just the food you eat, but where are they coming from and how are they being cultivated and is the environment being harmed and things like that. So I was learning in a different level, but um, I would love to next year or any year um, be considered for any way that I can create awareness around consciousness. Yeah. So let, let's go back um, way back before your diagnosis with multiple sclerosis and what you were doing and what did that diagnosis do for you? Wow. Um, 
Well, actually, at that time, um, I've been a type A overachiever my whole life. So in typical type A overachiever um, way, I was a respiratory therapist as part of a helicopter transport team for one of the largest burn centers in the East Coast. I also had a, I had three jobs. I had a second job, which I was uh, working for a small woman-owned company that sold computer technology specifically to the United States federal government. And just for no other reason than I like a good discount, I worked at a retailer in America called The Gap. That's what I was doing. That's insane. <laughs> All at the same time? <laughs> yes, because in the hospital, they let me work. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 12-hour days, and would pay me for 40. So I only worked on the weekends in the hospital. During the week, during the day, I worked in the computer sales. And in the evening, two nights a week, I worked at the local mall at The Gap. Good grief. You must have been exhausted. Yeah, I was. I'm still kind of that person, you know, I, but um, it's just a little different now. My life is my work. So living a conscious life is my work. So it's still all day, every day. But yeah, and I was newly married. I was married for six weeks when I got sick. Oh, wow. Gosh. So how long ago, how long ago was this? Uh, That was in 1986. And um, I was 23 years old. And so, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go, you go. I was just going to say, and at first when I got sick, I mean, I have multiple sclerosis, but at first when I got sick, they told me I had an inoperable brain tumor. Was that true? Like, or were they mistaken with their diagnosis? They were mistaken. It was before they had MRIs, which are a technology that definitely advanced the ability to diagnose people with MS because most of the identification happens with uh, demyelination of the covering of your brain, which causes, um, you know, like um, spots to show up on whether it be CAT scans or MRIs. An MRI can tell whether it's a tumor where a CAT scan struggles to do that. So I had a CAT scan. And at that time, that was all the technology they had. And they made the diagnosis that it was an inoperable brain tumor based on the CAT scan. Wow. So what was your treatment at that point? They offered me Valium. That was it. Um, They literally told me that it was in my brainstem that there was slight chance that there would be anything that they could do and um, just started running a battery of tests. It was just a lot of test after test after test. And because I was a respiratory therapist, the head of the burn center at the time happened to recommend, he was like, I do not think it's a brain tumor. I've known you long enough. And I think that it probably is another neurological disorder. And I think you should go to a doctor that was a researcher at Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And at this time, I was at Bryn Mawr Hospital in University of Pennsylvania. And um, he told me to see this doctor in Jefferson and actually made the call for me. And as soon as I walked in uh, his office, he said, you don't have a brain tumor, you have MS. And I just said, how do you know? He said, I can just tell by looking at you. And he had access to like one of the first MRIs ever. And I just had to figure out a way to come up with about $11,000 to pay for it. So, um, and it was outside of New York City. So I not only had to come up with the money, but I had to get there, which I eventually did. And then that's when the diagnosis changed. 
So once you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, what was the treatment after that? For the first couple of years, there wasn't really any treatment. They had offered me prescription drugs to deal with stress, but my mom was a prescription drug addict, so I took the path of no. Um, and I started doing aromatherapy at the time, and that was really all that was happening. They didn't have disease-modifying drugs, which are what is the uh, protocol in America for the standard of care is disease-modifying drugs. And there's about maybe, I'd say a dozen or somewhere between a half a dozen and a dozen of them today. So I actually signed up to be part of the FDA uh, test group for the disease modifying drugs in the United States of America and eventually did inject with disease modifiers for 19 years. And was there a, a regression in um, or a non-progression in your symptoms? No. They actually didn't do anything to change my symptoms. The only thing that really helped my symptoms, believe it or not, were um, IV steroid um, infusions of solumedra, really high doses of steroids, would stop the progression, and that was it. The disease-modifying drugs didn't do anything to stop my progression at all, and uh, in the United States, they, they cost you $2,500 a month. Hmm. I did that for 19 years. Wow. And I do believe that it, I know I've spoken to you, V, about this and that you were a fairly high flyer and all the money that you made as a high flyer, you ended up spending on your disease, on, on the drugs for your disease. Yeah, no, I had built and sold a lot of technology companies, you know, the type A overachiever. When I got sick with MS, since I had all those jobs, I just stopped doing the jobs that I physically couldn't do anymore. And sales, I was able to do from a phone. And um, then my disease went into remission after I got pregnant with my daughter. The hormone balance really played well for my MS, and it put me into remission for about 10 years. And in those 10 years, I built and sold uh, a half a dozen technology companies and also was on the board of the National MS Society in the United States and became a multimillionaire by the time I was 30. So when I became disabled in the United States from MS in 2001, I had millions of dollars in liquid assets and no debt. And today I live at poverty only because I have MS. So what changed? When did you say, this isn't working for me anymore? Where do I go from here? Mm, I think that's a great question. I'm not going to lie. You know, I don't want anyone to ever think when they hear my story that I'm some brilliant human being and some genius. My back was absolutely up against the wall. Um, I had depleted all of my assets, as we talked about. And in the United States, when you um, are disabled, they will not pay for things like physical therapy or things that help with quality of life if there's no cure for what you have. So I exhausted all my resources for quality of life. And the only thing left for me was our government was willing to put me in an institution. And people with MS are the second longest and youngest population and in institutions in America. So that is really what we're faced with. And I, I obviously was facing institutionalization. Or in America, we allow you to live homeless as long as you want. So I was faced, I could have been homeless. And then the third option in front of me was I was considering taking my life. And it wasn't until I got to that point that um, the heavens opened up in my life. And there was a TED uh, talk done by Dr. Terry Walls sharing the Walls protocol. And um, 
that's where my life really started to change was after seeing that. Oh, so it was the TED Talk. Oh, my gosh. I I love that TED Talk. You know, I played that over and over and I shared mm-hmm. it. It, and I didn't realize it was the TED talk that actually was the um, in, initiation into Dr. Terry Walls. Yeah, I had gone to in the United States. There's this festival called Burning Man, which is kind of an artistic, anything goes, non-judgment, aka freak show that happens in <laughs> the middle of the desert. And um, it's they have this very spiritual aspect to it. And one of them is a temple where most people go to Burning Man to like listen to DJs and dance and participate in amazing art and expression. I went to pray in the temple every day to save my life. And um, it was at the temple that I realized that my life was toxic and that I had lived, I was living an unconscious life. It was dictated by societal and cultural norms and not necessarily by what worked well with my body, with my psyche, what I believed. It was really um, an autopilot existence. And when I came back from that, I took a different approach to life. And one of those approaches was watching TEDx's all the time to sort of, you know, expand my, my thinking about life and and living. And as luck would have it before even a hundred views, I saw Dr. Wall's TEDx right after I came back from Burning Man. And it was almost like the heavens opened up and just delivered her talk to me, literally. Now, I've spoken um, with you, seen you, know what you're like, and you are a fully able-bodied, mentally sharp, um, spunky woman that um, no one would ever <laughs> consider that you have um, have had or had. I, I don't know what you're, you know, whether you're in remission or whether you just don't have it anymore or, or what it is, but... No one would know. Um, so how many years ago was that? Because it wasn't that long ago that Terry's um, TED Talk was up there. No, uh, 2011 is when her TEDx came out. Um, before seeing Dr. Terry Wall's TEDx, I had lost bilateral use of both of my hands, which is the highest form of disability a human can have, not being able to use either hand. I had trouble swallowing, which is what kills most of us from MS. I had no feeling on the left side of my body. I couldn't care for my myself, so I had full, someone with me full-time, and then I had people living with me. I couldn't drive. I, I reserved the use of my hands to feed myself and dress myself and use the ladies' room on a good day. I mean, there were some days that dressing myself and you know holding a fork were almost impossible tasks for me. Um, today, I am pretty much 100% asymptomatic. Um, I uh, live alone, and I have... Uh, for the last four years, which was the first time in my adult life, I completely care for myself and I can now drive pretty much at will wherever I want and whenever I want. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just, Seriously. It's just, yeah. It's, it is <sighs> phenomenal. And I, you know, what upsets me, V and Karen is that most people aren't exposed to this. You see them, is still staying within the medical model, which is brilliant for emergency care and for care where there is no other way that we can help. But when it comes to these diseases that we know are autoimmune um, and we know that they start in the gut and we know that we have to start eating real foods and live a conscious life and um, take toxins out of a diet, I actually feel for these people. So, for instance, um, the beautiful people that I'm staying for here, um, 
the 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 lady has um, a bit of a, a fast heart at times, mm-hmm. and and so she's got a monitor on her, and her doctor rang her and says, "I want you to get right in here. I'm not happy with the way your heart is." And she came home 15 minutes later with a prescription for beta blockers and um, blood thinners. And I said, "Did he say anything about your diet?" And she said, well, I just said that I had a good diet. I said, he didn't talk to you about anything? And she said, no. It's so, I don't know where to go there, you know, like I don't know. Mm -hmm. Because to make those changes that you have done, B, I know they were huge. Yes. Um, And they're not something that you can just do overnight. You have to really consider everything. So where did you, like you watched watched Terry, what Mm -hmm. was your next step? Well, before I saw Terry's TEDx, I was already a certified yoga instructor. I should tell you that. So I was already doing yoga. Um, and I also was studying Buddhism and was meditating. So Terry's um, protocol is food-based. So when I plugged food in, that's when the real miracles started to happen. But to get to where I am now, I had to get conscious about everything in my life. So I mean, literally, the clothes that I wear, what I wash my clothes in, I used to dye my hair all the time. I used to wear nail polish and get manicures all the time. Um, I used to have a lot of toxic people in my life. Um, I used to follow a lot of cultural norms just because I was told that's what I was supposed to be as a woman, as an Italian, as a mother, as a daughter, as a sister. Um, I literally, the, the Walls Protocol made me begin to question everything in my life. And it's, um, it's that that I believe is responsible for, you know, as far as we know, and I know I'm on Dr. Wall's board. I'm a good friend of hers. I spoke to her Sunday for two hours on the phone. We emailed today. I mean, we're very close. Um, and she always says to me, you're like the most healed of anyone. And I'm like, I know, like, it's kind of weird, but it isn't weird because it is, um, it's my view on life. And, um, Doctors aren't taught that in the United States. Our standard of care is based around symptomatic management, where the way that I'm healing is root cause, um, starting with my gut, you know, looking at all the years of abuse and trying to heal it at, you know, dating back to things that were done when I was three years old. I'm, you know, I've taken my consciousness back to how, what did I do when I was a kid? How did I eat? What were the norms? Um, and I think that's really why my healing is so large because it's it's a psychological change that results in action across everything. I'm interested to to dive down the rabbit hole with you a little bit because you know it sounds I I, I often look at um, the psychology of. Um, I guess our language, the way that we have, the way that we relate to ourselves, the way that we relate to our environment, the way we relate relate to the planet, to each other, to our food, to everything. And what you're talking about here is how you were already on a a, a journey of inner peace, if you like, through mm-hmm. your studies and through your yoga. You were already on a journey of inner peace, but then bringing in this extra component was the was the flick that the, the the switch that got flicked in, in effect mm-hmm. to to reconfigure the way that your mind was manifesting health within your body would you say that that that's a fair call yes 
Yes. That's profound. That is profound. I mean, simple, you know, simple things. You know, I always bring this, and I said this on my TED, I did a TEDx in 2016 and talked about the role that culture plays in our choices in life. And, you know, I was studying Michael Foucault, who's a French philosopher, and, you know, Foucault brought to my attention, you know, simple things like we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we subscribe to what consists of those meals in a very blind fashion. You know, we have bacon and eggs in America, at least, or we have muffins, and at lunch, we typically have a sandwich, and then for dinner, you know, we have a protein, a vegetable, and a starch, and maybe a salad, and then a dessert usually follows dinner, or other meals, not so much. Um, Well, like, why? And who said, Mm -hmm. and then culturally you can extrapolate that. Like being Italian, we had to have pasta three nights a week. Every Friday we had pizza that was homemade. I mean, that's just, you knew what you were having by the day of the week. You know what I'm saying? So I literally had to look at almost everything I did in my life and realize that, you know, I, I hadn't really thought consciously about anything really. I was just agreeing to what was sort of laid out in front of me. And Dr. Wall's approach to using food as medicine even changed my yoga practice and my meditation. Because even at that time, my meditation practice was I was sitting cross-legged and joining my thumb with my middle finger and trying to quiet my mind and, you know, and chant. And now my meditation is so different. Because I've stepped out of what I thought meditation has to be and created what works for me. And I feel like waking up is what's responsible for my miracle status. So how do you then translate that to other people in a way that they can get that? Because it is quite, you know, it's challenging when you have already experienced that inner awakening. And it's challenging to put it into language so that then other people who don't necessarily have to go through what you've been through um, can get the same enlightenment. How do you how do you do that? How do you position your message? Well, the first thing is is I really believe that community is the most important thing for all of us. And when you decide that you are the greatest thing about today is we have technology and we have resources available at our fingertips. And I recommend that if you're thinking about a different journey, whether it be regarding food, diet, anything diet and lifestyle, I recommend going to the internet and building yourself community. There are bloggers, there are podcasts, there are social media influencers there. You can find people out there that will help become a part of your community. I mean, the first thing I tell people is I sign up to be your in your community. Because once you have someone that you can bounce ideas off of, because it's a little overwhelming to think, oh, I'm going to give up, you know, the way I eat, you know, everyone has to define what's going to work for them. But, you know, if you did what I did, you give up gluten, grain, dairy, processed sugar, uh, legumes, you know, that's hard to do. But if you have a support system, if you have a community that can sort of help you like, oh, I gave up dairy, but I miss cheese and I can't imagine eating something without cheese. You know, someone else who's already walked that walk can say to you, here are some options. So I like my first recommendation with everyone is community. And then I always say, and I sign up to be part of your community in any possible way. So I don't think this would have been possible for me at any step without community. And then the next thing is, is that this is a journey of self-love. 
it's not a journey of deprivation. It's a journey of you finally just taking a moment to be like, you know what, what matters to me? And, you know, instead of just eating food and just chomping it down, it's really nice to eat your food and be like, wow, I love the taste of rosemary in this. Or, oh, I don't like cilantro. Most of the time, we don't even know if rosemary or cilantro is in it, you know, like just really just slowing things down and bringing it back to just gratitude. Like I am able to eat right now. I am able to chew right now. I am able to. And if you can just start from a place of gratitude with a commitment to keep your eyes open with community support, it creates the space for these sorts of outcomes to happen, I believe. Yeah, it's kind of, it's opening up a whole new conversation, isn't it? It's really allowing people to um, find a new normal. And I think yep. that, that's something I love. I love that, that, that whole experience of, you know, just be in the inquiry, just, in, just, just question your conditioning, just question the way that you eat, just question your relationship to your food, just question the hurried, you know, um, the hurried way that we just experience everything. I was talking at an event the other day and I held up a pen and it kind of really struck me. And I've said this a couple of times, but I think when I first discovered it, it there was a curiosity to it. But then I kind of got caught in the conditioning of the presentation as well. And I held up a pen and I said, you know, just because somebody said this is a blue pen doesn't make it a blue pen. Who said? And the minute we look at it and we say, oh, that's a blue pen and we just disregard it, we stop actually seeing it for the magic of what it can do for us and the curiosity. Totally. And and, and a cup, you know, who's to say a cup is a cup? Right. We don't don't know what yellow is. You know, our name is not even our name. It was all given to us and handed down to us. And so we've been living in this conditioned way of being where there's no freedom. There is only that pinched off experience of life. Um, and it's when we can kind of drop all of that, then we can experience freedom and it's beautiful. I'm so, I'm so in awe just listening to everything that you're saying here, because you know, you are a living, breathing example of what that freedom does for the body physically, because there's a whole psychological freedom, but you're also the experience, you're also the embodiment of a physical freedom. I I, I find you completely amazing, B. I really do. I think think you're incredible. (laughs) <laughs> well, even V is, that's my name. No one gave me that name. I decided that was my name. Ah. Like that's how I am. The, um, Diane is the name my parents gave me and the name that the IRS in America cares about. But my um, going by V is, is a choice. Love so it. Every, yeah. And it's short for verb. I don't think I'm a noun. I think uh, I'm a verb. Uh-huh. That's why I, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Amazing. She's a doing, not a being. That's exactly yeah. right. No, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, no, but it's really amazing the power of, of being conscious because, um, you know, I'll never forget. I went, I used, I do these like noble silent retreats where, you know, you can't make eye t- contact, you can't speak, and you meditate for a good part of your day. At least 12 hours of your day is spent meditating. And I like to do this at a Zen center with monks and the first time I went there, the rule is when you're eating or one of the suggestions when you're eating is do not have another forkful until what is in your mouth is chewed and swallowed. And they're telling me this and I'm thinking to myself, I mean, that's the way I eat. Of course, like who, who has their fork ready to like shove more food down their throat? Well, in actuality I did like every time. 
And I just couldn't believe that of myself. I thought, really? Like, I never imagined that this, that I was so not tasting my food. I'd already been a Walls Warrior and was already quite conscious and still found myself, you know, wow, I'm still so unconscious. Yes, I'm conscious about what I'm putting in my mouth, but I still haven't slowed my roll down enough to really taste it and savor it. And um, all I'm worried about is shoveling the next spoonful in, you know, really eye-opening experiences when you're conscious that you just don't even expect. And that's the key word, isn't it? It's consciousness. You know, we've got the gift of being conscious of everything, yet we're unconscious of most things. There was a a study that was done and it showed that 90% of the time we are unconscious. I was. Yeah, well, it's it's a, it's a it's a natural trait of human of human existence is that when ninety percent of the day we're existing unconsciously, and we're not thinking about what we're thinking about. You know, we're not exploring what's new, or we're not ex- we're not present. We're just living unconsciously, which means we're living through our conditioning. So I think it's, it's true. Um, yeah, yeah, totally, it- totally. And I think for our listeners, you know, with what you're explaining there. It's a beautiful way to start to experience the, the world that you actually live in rather than being oblivious to it because either way we're going to land up in a box, but it would be much, it's a much more quality life to be in the moment and experience the beauty of yellow and to experience the, the, the sensation of wind against your skin and the texture oh, yeah. of, you know, the texture of rice in your mouth or, or cold ice cream or whatever it is that a person's eating to experience mm-hmm. it and that's probably the one of the first steps what well, well, actually no let me rather than me saying that what do you think are the first steps for our listeners who are you know totally enamored by everything that you're saying here what what would you suggest a person does to get themselves started on being you know, conscious just engage in an honest conversation with yourself and ask yourself like what is the area because all of us need to you know, really get conscious about our foods. Maybe just reading ingredients is the first step, you know, pick, go in your pantry. And the next time you're going to make dinner, whatever the ingredients are that you pull from your pantry, why don't you like flip it over and actually read like what is in this jar? Mm. That would be like a good first step. Just read, just not the packaging and the marketing on the front, literally look in the back ingredients are, you know, maybe. And the next time you get in the shower and you're using shampoo, read those ingredients. Um, you know, and if you're not moving in, in a, in a consistent manner, meaning some dedicated time to your body physically moving, um, you know, maybe engage in a conversation with yourself as to why. And if you were what that might look like, I never recommend going from zero to 150. So maybe that means parking your car further away when you're going to the store you know, that might be a good first step. Or maybe it means finding a buddy to go to the gym once a week. I mean, I don't know. But engaging in that conversation with yourself and just starting to, um, because a real conscious life, you're going to be looking at moving because your body needs that. You need to look at your food because that's our source of, of, you know, it keeps our cells going, our mitochondria flourishing. And relationships, you know, we you know, no man is an island and, you know, just look around. Are the relationships that you have in place healthy? Could they be healthier? You know, what is your role in that? You know, and just like talk to yourself. I call it playing chess in your mind. It, it's it's interesting what you're saying about um, 
I've, I've been listening to you too, and I knew Karen. You would just absolutely love V. <laughs> and I can, but I can see you. I, I can see you going down the rabbit hole. You too. I, I just oh, I yeah. know it's going to happen. It has been happening. <laughs> but it was really interesting at Cal Jam. A lady came out and she said, and she came out with a plastic bottle of water, which many people use, and it's one of the things I've chosen not to do. Right. As much as possibly can, I carry a container with me and I always fill up with filtered water wherever I can and it's always with me. It's very rare for me to do plastic water. But it was interesting. She came out on the stage and she said, and it was about being conscious. And she said, many of us, when we finish with a plastic bottle of water or plastic water, we will put the lid back on and throw it away. And we leave in it water that will never escape, never be available to the atmosphere, never be available to this earth because the plastic won't break down. And, and I got this sudden flash of, I never considered that. Neither did I. Yeah, yeah. She said, do not put any lids on containers. Allow that that liquid to be available to the environment if you're going to throw it out. So I thought I was doing really well, you know, not using plastic and not throwing away. But that really struck me as why have I, have I never been conscious of that before? <laughs> yeah, me neither. Yeah. So I, I, every time I hear from somebody, I think, like, you might think, oh, that's just stupid, but it's actually not. Can you consider how many people only drink three quarters of their water, put the lid on and throw it away because it's inconvenient for them to be in their bag? Yeah, like, and that, I'm, I'm one of those people, I have to admit. Mm, mm, you know, I don't want out of bottles anymore, but um, I bet you if I do. I mean, I, you know, again, I don't like plastic. Like, even there you go. That's another yeah. conscious decision. But, you know, I like, think- I, I look at when I go into an, a normal home, a home where um, there's not a thought about the shampoo and the conditioner or the perfumes or the makeup or the um, the soaps or the, the that we use in and around the house on our bodies, on our clothes, when we're not conscious about the agricultural methods that are used um, in the foods that we consume, it's daunting, V. It is daunting if you mm-hmm. go into that house and you, and you have to go, well, did you realise this and do you realise this and do you realise this? And it is, like you said, a step-by-step manner, but, once you step into that hole of making those changes, it's almost never ending because then your consumerism changes as well. What am I going to buy? Is this um, an ethical product to buy? Do I need this? Do I? Is it just a want or a need? So I, I think there's a whole consciousness around uh, everything, and and the more I can learn from from people who are consciously thinking, you know, like the lady with the plastic bottle and the lid and the water, um, I think the better off we'll be. But most people are living in a very unconscious life and I sometimes despair for what's going to happen. Do you ever have that, V? Uh, you know, you're well, taking to the streets with your yeah. tour. Yeah, you're doing that with your tour. And how are you going with that? Are you getting to people? Well, in October, just for not October, in April, just for people that don't know, I I made a conscious decision to sell all my possessions, take everything that I own down to 50 items, that's including shoes, jewelry, everything, and put it in a red Fiat. And 
make an announcement that I was willing to live with anyone in that wanted me to live with them uh, for free um, to teach them how to tap their conscious life. And I've had, you know, over 150, I mean, I've stopped counting. It's probably even more than that invitations to live with people. And to date, I've lived with about 30 strangers in the United States. And I'll say 75% of them aren't conscious on any level when I get there. They haven't started because they're paralyzed as to where to start. So they're bringing me in because they want me to sort of help with the first step. And um, of those 75%, maybe 50% of them will even let me begin to look at their pantry. <laughs> yeah. Because Sounds familiar, Cindy. <laughs> it does, yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's hard. You know, it's really hard for them to wrap their head around. So, you know, again, um, what I do is I try and lead by example and, Rather than say, well, let's empty out your pantry, I introduce them to while I'm there, I make chia put. Like I, I find out what are the things in life that matter to them in their unconscious life. Like I want to have ice cream before I go to bed. I want to go into a spin class. And after spin class, because I did that, I want to be able to eat whatever I want because I earned the right because I did the spin class. And it usually involves some sort of soda. So I take, you know, making up these examples, but I take sort of all that information when I'm living in their home and present options that are real options. That's why community is so important, you know, like, okay, well, there is a natural flavoring soda that might be a great substitute that, you know, you may not want to be drinking for the rest of your life, but it might be a good first step or you need ice cream before you go to bed. Well, guess what? There is a way to make a dairy-free refined sugar-free ice cream that's delicious. And let's work on that together while we're here. So I just try and let them know that there are options out there that just aren't maybe as consumer-driven realities, but they are available and give them hope that this isn't um, a rabbit hole that's going to lead to eating food that's tasteless and having no friends and never being able to go out and socialize again. Because that's what a lot of people fear, that it's so far outside of the cultural norm, that how do they get to peacefully coexist with the life as they know it? And I let them know that, yes, life is going to change, but um, because you're going to change, <laughs> but it's, it's not going to be exclusionary. It isn't exclusionary. I still have a lot of the same friends. I mean, obviously, I had some toxic friends, but my life is more inclusion, has more inclusion than it did before. Um, because I'm able to do more, you know, before when MS was winning, oh, I can't go there. They have a flight of stairs to get up to their house. Oh, they don't have air conditioning in their house. I can't deal with the heat. That's when life was hard. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you can find a restaurant that serves a salad and a piece of protein if that's what you need to eat, you know? Um, but it's a lot hard, easier to do that than it is to, go somewhere when your body physically can no longer drive. See what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. people yeah. are sometimes afraid of just change and they don't, you know, so I like to serve. And again, I believe, you know, changing habits, you know, bloggers, other people that are out there are really good resources. I mean, what was it? Valentine's day. You guys had like some treats that you were making that just blew <laughs> me away. I was like, yes, Yes. And yes, I want that. I want that. I want that. 
And I think it was really eye-opening that it's like, we can all have Valentine's Day in the consumer-driven model, which involves loved ones giving candy or chocolates or whatever. It's just, it doesn't have to have chemicals and dyes and carcinogens in it. Um, so, you know, my tour, I think, represents hope in the like a living, breathing um and I think the thing that is hard is most of us have a lot of stuff. And I think that is what people, when I'm in their home, really see through my eyes. You know, when I walk into the 5,000 square foot house with a garage so full that no cars can even fit in it, the cars are in the driveway. And then they see me pull up in my little red Fiat with everything I own and, you know, how at peace I am and how I have more than enough. And I think it just creates a conversation in their mind that, you know what, maybe it's just all this stuff getting in the way for me really living my life. And then they get to define how they make changes, you know? I, I think that that's why tiny houses are beginning to become very, very popular. Is it oh, yeah. because it allows people to declutter and downsize and to have freedom from mortgages even. And, you know, it's huge over here. I noticed I've been, there's a whole, there's a yeah. whole channel devoted to tiny houses. So yeah, yeah, do it yourself. And it's all tiny houses, the whole thing. So I, I actually get it. And by the way, um, Karen, yeah, I fitted in V's car. The dog, there's a dog in yep. there as well. And I fitted in there and she took me back to my hotel <laughs> with all my stuff in it. Yeah. You'll see yep. it again today. All my belongings are in there. I'm literally staying with my daughter right now. Um, I lived in Tustin for, uh, for the last three months. I just left there a week ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it's, um, it's truly amazing because I was that person. I had a 6,500 square foot house, a 3,300 square foot house at the beach, several cars. You know, every day I walked out, which car did I want to drive? I had live-in help. I had all of that. And I was sick and miserable. Now I have nothing and I'm rich. I'm the richest I've ever been. And I have joy and life experience. I mean, I don't know of anyone who wouldn't be excited to have visited, you know, 55 cities in the United States this year. And uh, driven, you know, 20,000 miles on the open road of America, seeing like America like you could never imagine um, and hanging out with, you know, 10,000 people. That's literally what I get to do. There's a movie, there's a documentary that's out now called Minimalism. And um, I haven't watched it yet, but it's um, it talks about that very thing of getting rid of everything, decluttering, getting rid of 75% of everything that you own. So that then what you own doesn't govern your life. You govern your life yeah. and then and experience governs your life. And it's a it's a fantastic movie. And there's actually a whole bunch of girls that I know up here that I've and it's strange because it's just crossed my path over the last couple of days. Um, we've sold the house that we're living in and we're moving into this tiny, tiny, tiny <laughs> beat up old shack. And our intention was uh -huh. to renovate or rebuild or whatever. But now that I'm starting to hear about this decluttering and this getting rid of 75% of your stuff, and, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not a hoarder, but I have stuff. And I, I feel like, you know, there, there's got to be a message in this somewhere for all of us to be able to really stop the conditioning because that's really what it is. It's, it's just more conditioning. Oh, yeah. What do we need all this stuff for? We don't. You know, it doesn't it, – it just ties us down and makes us heavier, doesn't it, really? 
Sounds like you just me. free. <laughs> I mean, my wardrobe, when I turned 50, I decided my wardrobe was going to be three colors only, like our animals, which is a line of clothes for kids. In the United States, you match the tags, and that's how you know things match. Well, my clothes, everything matches because it's black, gray, or white, and that's it. And every day, I never have to worry about what I'm wearing because it all matches, and it all fits, and I love everything in my wardrobe, and I only buy recycled clothes. And um, yeah, it's that's why everything can just fit in one little suitcase because it all just goes really well together. You know, my clothes are 30 pieces total. Everything. That's including belts, and shoes, shoes, all of it. That includes yeah. shoes. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, dear. I mean, <laughs> that was the hardest part. I got it down to 50 in the summer, and I was like, that's way too much. I have to bring it down. I used to have a walk-in closet. Like, it took a long time. I don't, but, um, and again, I went down to just colors when I was 50, I'll be 54. So again, it was a gradual process, but now that I'm here, I mean, it's amazing. Um, because I get more compliments now on the way I dress than I ever did. And I used to have an amazing wardrobe that people would die for. I mean, it still lives on because I gave it to people because it was all couture. I was a couture shopper. Like Mm. I bought Cavalli. I bought, you know, the couture brands of everything. And now I still buy couture, but I buy it at Goodwill. So funny. People are like, I love your leather boots. I'm like, $5 Goodwill. I'm like, how do you I love this. Yep. And I'm like, I manifest it. I literally, if I know I need something like, oh, I need a new shirt, I will manifest that energy. And inevitably I go into a Goodwill and it has exactly what I need. (gasps) How amazing. Oh my goodness. You know, I honestly... Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, oh, you go, Kat. No, go, Cindy. No, you go. Oh, I just wanted to ask V, because I know there are going to be people who want to follow her that follow us. And so could you tell us where we can find you um, on your Instagram, your Facebook? You're taking it to the streets. Are you coming? I think we talked about October Australia, but can you just let us know what you're doing? Yes. Um, you can actually find all my information at paleo boss lady. It could be paleobosslady.com or on Instagram, paleo boss lady, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook. Um, I do a weekly blog. And also if you go to my website, you'll see a tab for taking it to the streets tour and I'm touring the United States. And yes, in October, I want to come to Australia and New Zealand. That is my plan. Um, I've had a tremendous amount of requests They actually my Australia was my number one um, group of followers until just uh, 2016. So a lot of inspiration uh, for my life coming from Australia. So I feel very strong connection and have been invited to go there. So um, yeah, you can find me that way. And you can always reach out. I answer anyone. That's another thing I don't think people realize. You know, reach out. A lot of us really try really hard. Now, obviously, if you have 100,000 followers and stuff, it's a lot harder. But um, I will respond to anyone that reaches out to me so feel free to reach out at any time thank you well v this has been an amazing conversation and one that i think will live on in terms of people's um favorites and replays and repeats because i think this is one of those podcasts where you're going to get more and more each time you listen to it so thank you so much for sharing your wisdom your experiences your openness and your backstory and, and, and the work that you're doing today. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with us. It's been such a treat. Oh, thank you for having me. And 
I have mad respect for the work that you ladies do too. Uh, well, we do love what we do, that's for sure. There's no question about it. And to be able to bring people like you to our audience um, is kind of what makes it worthwhile getting out of bed in the morning and doing podcasts while you're suffering with the cold in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Not really suffering, just, you know, just a little bit congested here. Just a little bit <laughs> Yeah, why well, the weather. We have things blooming that haven't bloomed in five years because of our drought. Yeah. literally we do you know so there's things in the air all kinds of pollens and i'm sure it's a combination of that and travel yeah no doubt mm. no doubt well this has been an amazing podcast show thank you so much everybody for joining us we hope that you've loved it as much as we have if you've got some questions about today's podcast just go ahead to our facebook page at all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat you can also post your comments at all the w's uh, all the W's dot the wellness couch. I do this every time. All the W's dot the wellness couch dot com forward slash up for a chat. And um, if you guys have got any questions for us, make sure that you post those questions there because we you know we are checking in on our Facebook page constantly, looking forward to bringing you the things that you're specifically asking for. Now, I wanted to let everybody know a bit of an update on our trips to New Zealand and also to Africa this year or Africa next year. So um, September, October this year, 2017, we are taking a group of about 15 people to trek across the South Island of New Zealand. Now, our beautiful Kimmy has organized that for us and it's a five-star experience and in some cases, six-star, hello, but we won't be taking any stuff the There'll be no stuff. I'm going to cut right back. Instead of taking Good. instead of taking 30 pairs of undies, I'll take five. Our listeners will get that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to come and join us and make sure that I'm not taking any stuff, like hold me to it, I'd really be grateful because I'm going to need all the help I can get. <laughs> uh, I think I actually took about 12 pairs of shoes to Peru, Cindy. I never told you, but I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I took two. Yeah, and you took like three pairs of undies and I had like 40. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. That was hilarious. But I tell you, one thing, though, that we learned when we were trekking together was one how, one how unique we all are, but then also how the same we all are and how mm. connected we became with each other and how close we've become with each other. And at least half of the women who trekked Peru with us are coming back and trekking um, New Zealand and Africa Great. with us, which is, oh, my goodness, what a, what a treat, what a treat. So we really think that, um, you know, for all of our listeners there who are entertaining and flirting with the idea of joining us on one of these treks because it's something on your bucket list or it's not something that you'd love to do, just know that doing it with a group of people, particularly a group of strangers, but mind you, you're not really strangers to us. You're already family for us. But when you do come along and you do meet a whole bunch of other women other than Kim, Cindy and myself that are, you know, new to you, just look at it this way in that it's about an, a journey of expansion as much as it is a journey of experience where you're going to get to see new aspects of yourself through the people that you're surrounded by. You're going to discover new levels of growth, new levels of tenacity, new levels of, um, of joy and of bliss and new experiences that you could never have had otherwise. 
So if you're ready to really unlock what the future holds for you and you think that this is a really great way and a really great catalyst to bring you out of the skin you're in, then join us at the tricks that we're going to in New Zealand and also in Africa. So to find out more, go to awakenthechangewithin.com. So all the W's dot awakenthechangewithin.com. And everything that you need is right there for you, including the pricing, including the itineraries so that you can see where we're going. You can do your own research and Google it. And you can also then um, get yourself signed up on a really groovy payment plan that gives you plenty of time to get this all paid off. So join us on Trekking New Zealand and Africa, and we're going to see you here next week on Up for a Chat, where you get to become part of the ripple effect that is most definitely changing the world. And we are going to see you on the ride, my friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you same time, same station next week. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.